Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Azure podcast with your hosts Sam Foote and Alan Armstrong. If you're new here, we're a pair of Azure and Office 365 focused IT security professionals. Each episode, we talk about a specific topic in the space. This week, it's episode 13 of season two. We're going to talk around service applications in Azure and Office 365 and how to evaluate the technologies you should pick in certain situations and how they can be combined together for greater flexibility in your organization. Hey, Alan, how are you? Um, are you ready for Ignite coming up? Uh, what are you looking forward to most? Hey, Sam. Yep, yeah, I'm not doing too bad. I am definitely looking forward to Ignite. I'm always looking forward to it. Um, but yeah, this time uh, I'm allowed to uh, go in person over the over the pond. Is it right this is the first one that's in person since um, COVID? Since 2019, yeah. Yeah. So... And it's only a limited amount, so. Um, so do you think it's going to be potentially smaller then, like smaller uh, attendance, maybe? Potentially, I mean, I I don't know, but yeah, you know, when they they may have made it lim, you know, called it limited to uh, reduce the amount of people wanting to go, maybe, or yeah, maybe yeah. they don't think many people are going to go because everyone's used to, you know, remote. Yeah, exactly. Well, it'd be interesting to see. Um... Because uh, you you've been before COVID, haven't you? Uh, to ignite, yeah, the yeah. the last one before COVID, yeah. Okay, yeah. So it'd be interesting to get your viewpoint on how it's changed, if it's any different to a you know a quotes normal ignite, if if that makes sense. So yeah, um, have lots of fun. Very jealous, very jealous. Um, right, okay. So this this week we're going to talk around um, serverless applications. Um, and this this came, this topic has really come off the back of a few conversations that we've been having internally and with customers around the positioning of serverless applications. You know uh, the the different technologies that there are, um, what can be achieved, and, and things like that. So um, Alan and I are going to sort of attack this together because there's so much here that yeah, it's quite daunting anyway. But um, what what we're effectively going to do is we're going to run through some of the main um, serverless technologies that you can you can use, not in great detail, because um, effectively each of those sections could be a lengthy episode in itself. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to give you some of the high level features um, and some context around them, um, so, so to help you sort of uh, to sort of guide you in some of your thinking, maybe when you're trying to evaluate these technologies. Um, We'll, we'll go through we'll go through those and then we'll talk um, uh, towards the end around um, really how you can bring these technologies together and how you know maybe one technology isn't everything that you'll need inside of your technology stack. Um, so let's let's crack on because we have got a, a lot to a lot to get through. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the, I guess the first question then is what what are serverless applications and why what why are they different? Okay. So um, if you if you can imagine uh, in a very traditional application, let's let's say you have a an application that has some sort of uh, let's say web front end, uh, right? Let's and then you've got uh, maybe a database that you might source some data in. Uh, traditionally. Um, you may host that application. Let's say you write it in, let's say you write it in ASP.NET because we're a Microsoft-focused podcast, so let's talk about ASP.NET. Um, you might write it in ASP.NET and then you might um, uh, like uh, build a server, provision some sort of server. Maybe you 
you know build an actual box you put it on or whether you you know uh, provision some sort of um, virtual machine inside of Azure then you would host that application on some sort of say web server and you would manage all of that yourself so you'd configure the the box that it's sitting on you would upload your code you'd get it all configured and then you'd manage it going forward what serverless applications aim to do is to take all of the management uh, away from you um, you would have called this um, uh, platform as a service, um, which is a, is a name and a wrapper around it. And um, we do have a platform as a service offering uh, that we're going to talk about as well as your functions. But it can also sort of start to move into s sort of a SaaS um, model as well. When we talk, when we're going to talk around power apps and dynamics and power platform, that's really sort of then leaning more into even less abstraction. You know, we're talking or even more abstraction, I should say, um, less control. Um, but with less control, um, you know, there's less there's less for you to manage in overhead. You know, so you would you you give up s certain. Everything is going to have pros and cons uh, with it, and we will go we will go through them more in depth. But it, what you can what you can imagine is is you you provide your solution to your serverless like technology provider, um, and then they will you know they will. Um, host it for you they will patch the operating systems they will upgrade the the platforms and the sdks that you're using under the hood um they will roll out new features to you so that you don't have to you don't you don't have to you, you don't have to do that yourself it's a fully managed service um you know uh, that, that's there and what also happens when you're working at the levels you know these sort of like really abstracted level uh, layers away which is like really high up in the technology stack you generally have really powerful connectors and integrations between different systems because they understand that these systems have to communicate with external and other systems in your in your business so what you can find is that there's there a rich there's like a rich ecosystem of of things to do um but with with that um the, the level that you sit at and you take away a lot of your your overhead you do you you do get some drawbacks for instance, you do have less flexibility in what generally in what you can build, you know, um, given unlimited budgets, you know, the technical reach of, say, power apps, it's far less far reduced than, say, you know, an ASP.NET full stack developer, you know, build, building something, you know, I don't think anybody can can deny that. Um, but but we, we have to live in like the real world and we don't have unlimited budgets and certain things, you know, um, certain applications can't have that, that level of um, attention and, and overhead um, added to them. Um, you can you can get into a scenario where you can have less customization where you when you give control to, um, you know, your 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 provider in terms of management, you you can you can give up some level of customization and control. So you are going to have bounds that you have to live inside of. Um, but what we what we can see now is that these platforms are so mature now, and they have been like this for a long time, really. A lot of especially line of business internal applications, you know, can be built um, using these technologies. And and Alan and I have. And, and many other people that we know have countless um, countless examples of uh, of great value in, and automations that have been brought around, you know, using these serverless platforms. So they they can definitely add value and and hold their own. 
you have an ecosystem lock-in aspect as well. You know, you may be working in specific Microsoft technologies. So if you are if you are an organization that is vendor lock-in or eco lock-in system, you know, ecosystem lock-in, you know, uh, if you're worried about that, then you will have to um, understand that as you go in that you may be, again, it comes with less flexibility and control. And I think one big one big thing that can also happen is is you may reduce your capex cost. Let's say building intellectual property costs you a lot of money. You've got a lot of sunk cost into you know building out a development team and, and building your IP. Um, but what can sometimes happen is is you can then flip into more operational expense um, because especially like um, if you've got uh, computationally expensive processes that you want to run that that, those that computation can be a lot more expensive than say you know just running on a bare metal virtual machine or a a dedicated machine so you do have to approach that that and and i use i I said that as my last drawback because there's a lot of contention there you know because you can sometimes your opex costs can still be really high into for you know for people and um, for, for servers on 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 the on the normal side, um, as well as you know high opex costs on the on the serverless side, if that makes sense. So that is a bit of a muddy water, but that's something that you maybe want to think about, especially when we come into licensing. Um, and Alan will talk about that because that that's that's mainly a power apps you know a thing really there. So you you can get stung with that, but. You know, the, the more your your organization adopts these things, um, you can get some really good scaling benefits with with those licenses as well. Is there anything else, Alan, that you think I've missed that you um, that you want to comment on around like serverless as a general sort of technology principle? No, I think you covered it. Um, I think we just need to dive into some of these uh, quick. Okay. Speed, right. lightning speed <laughs> overviews of these technologies. Okay, let's do it. Right. So, Alan, uh, let's have a bird's eye view 101 um, class on Power Apps, please. Um, so, could you just give us like a quick overview and, and take us through um, some high level key, key, key parts of it? Yep, sure. And this is going to be high level. Um, so, Power Apps is part of the Power Platform. Um, the Power Platform has um, also Power Automate, which used to be called Flow, which we'll talk about in a minute, as well as Power BI. Um, in essence, it is a, 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 a an environment where you can, you know, a day to day, a standard user could build an app, you know, a simple app, um, to sh- to represent data or to capture data. So kind of like forms, things like that, um, or even just do like calculations, things like that, or pull stuff from other data sources. Um, it's mainly, so the Power Platform in general is kind of tied around Office 365. It's kind of what it's been built for so that you can do automations or check data or use it to, to manipulate data and things like that within that environment. So an example might be that um, you're able to use this app to upload a file into a SharePoint site. So you could use it as a, an, a, an app on your phone kind of thing, or it could be to do your your HR, your uh, your holiday requests, things like that. So you can put in a request; it goes through a through a, a Power Automate process, and then you know does something. You know, it 
uh, gets approved or denied, things like that, and then gets recorded somewhere, etc., or puts into calendar. And there's various other things that it can do. So it's all of the sort of connectors um, that you can use with it. So with the Power Platform, there is a ecosystem of connectors, as Sam was saying earlier. Um, most of them are based on Office 365 because that's the idea of it. But it does go out to third parties like Box, Dropbox, uh, stuff within Azure, you know, storage accounts, things like that as well. Um, there's a whole list that you can you can do. And you can create your own custom ones that talk to APIs. So it's not like tying you in just to that. So there is customize, you know, you can customize it, but there's, you know, as Sam said, there's limitations. So I think that kind of covers that. There's, well, there's different types. There's model and canvas driven apps from the Power App side. So model driven is based on you in effect. It's kind of like... Um, drag and drop like i want to put a text box here on a put a button here i want that button to do something it's kind of, kind of for me because consider i don't like really develop it kind of felt like when i started doing visual basic like the very first thing where you can like drop stuff onto a screen and then you can say you know give it a, a name a, you know a name and then the value of it and things like that so that's kind of that it's all hosting power platform um you get different environments. So you can have a dev staging and production. Some of that is covered within licensing. Some of it, you can add additional storage for it. Um, it's all backed onto potentially um, the back of Microsoft Dynamics, which is what um, used to be called um, CDS. Then it had some name in between, and now it's called Dataverse. In effect, it's a, a way of storing data and you can do um, row and con level um, RBAC on it. So you can determine who has access, things like that. It can get, you know, again, we need to go into an episode about all of that. But in effect, you've got a, a place so you can store data and then you can like, you can secure it. Um, we kind of talked about connectors, that there's loads in there and you can create your own. Um, so the, the pros and cons. It's really easy to do. You know, this is designed for, you know, someone in finance to do something, to do something with their spreadsheets or, you know, an IT person to create a form, things like that. It's not, you know, anyone can use it. And it, it kind of brings out that citizen developer that we, we did that episode in season one at some point talking about it. Um, yeah. It's, it's hosted on your tenant. So it's, it doesn't go anywhere else, but there, um, you know, like I said, it, it's tightly integrated with the Power Platform and Dynamics, um, and you can build you can build quick mobile apps using the Power App that you, in, you the Power Apps app you install, and then you can have your custom made apps in there, sort of thing. Um, negatives is kind of the some of the restrictions. So, if you really want to do something complex, um, I can't think of either right now, but you know, if you want to do something really complex within it, then it, it's it's really difficult to do. You can do custom like components and development. Um, so that's that. And the other thing is can be licensing depending on what you want to do. So if we talk about licensing quickly, um, normally with a Microsoft three six five e three that kind of stuff, you get off you, know, you get um, power power platform power apps and flow licensing based on um that you can use in 365 so you can use all the free connectors um but if you want to use anything um that's a bit more advanced 
or kind of pushes outside of Office 365, then you have to have a you have to have a different license to use premium connectors. So there's a subset. There's basically anything you can use, and then there's these premium ones. And the licensing can be done per user, um, per app, which is the cheapest one. Or so basically, a user can use one app. So if you've only got like a built, you know, single app for the organization that wants to use, you can just license it for that. Um, or you can get a license for all, you know, what per user and as many apps as they want. So it's like a, just a free reign in effect. And I think that's everything covered in that. Have I th- missed anything, Sam? No, I think it's just like um, th- that licensing can be a bit of a hiccup sometimes, can't it? If you've if you've got like a an application that you want everybody in the organization to have access to, and there aren't any other apps in that organization currently, then they have to make that decision of, you know, is it worth going down that per user per app, you know, license? So let's say they've got two or, you know, it can, that initial outlay can be like quite expensive for large organizations, can't it, to to adopt, right? So it is really a, you know, it's really at that, it's more of that SaaS model of per user, you know, per per app and and per license, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, cool. So um, you, you talked about it um, briefly, but um, Power Automate, um, how does that sort of fit into to the Power Platform and and what sort of, um, what differentiator is that going to give you over sort of standard, standard Power Apps? So Power Automate used to be called Microsoft Flow. Um, the idea is, in effect, is building, auto, as it sounds, building automation within Office 365 and any of the other connectors. So this is, I mean, the the interface is in effect like a workflow. So you literally are like adding like um, steps within a, uh, you know, you start off with, um, you know, every, so, you know, every day, once a day, just run this trigger. And then I want to go and do something like go and check these emails in the, in the shared mailbox, you know, from that, is there something else to happen? The other triggers are things like when I receive, when there's a new file dropped into the SharePoint site, you know, grab it, you know, maybe do some checks on it, maybe send an email to that the owner of that SharePoint site to say a new file's been uploaded, things like that. So it's used for that kind of thing. So there's loads in there. There's an approval process, which is really good that in effect, you know, you can you can say I need approval for this app for this document before it goes out to you know the customer. And you can attach it or share a link to it, um, and then you know the the person who is reviewing it can do you know do an approve, deny, add comments, so you can see it all kind of thing. So really easy to build, um, and you can make them quite complex. I have made ones that are very complex, um, and there are some limitations within it that you can, you know some things that you can't do. Kind of when you want to go a bit more. It, it kind of feels like when you need to do a bit more um, sort of manipulation of data, um, like in an extreme way in some sense, um, some others are simple that you can't do, that we get caught on. But um, but in essence, that sort of stuff you can't really do very easily in, in, in Power Automate. But I think they're sometimes few and far between those pieces. Most of the stuff you can do quite easily. And this helps the business, you know, internal business from being able to do a, you know, automate one of their processes and, you know, save time there. And again, that, you know, the finance team can deal with it or the, 
the HR team or the the other project teams, things like that, they can all manage it themselves. And again, it ties into things like dynamics. So if you're using it as your CRM, you know, when a new when a new opportunity comes in, it can send an email to certain people or, or things like that. And you know, same thing with the project piece. Um, what else is there? I don't think there's too much more. Is there licensing? Is this pretty much the same as Power Power Apps? There is a separate license again for it, but I think you can, if you've bought the Power Apps license, then it cover it includes Flow as well at the higher uh, higher tiers. Um, but you can, if you're just doing automation, you can just do um, just license Power Automate in effect. Have I missed anything, Sam? I I don't think so, and I think um I think the main thing to to talk I suppose to clump these two technologies in is we're really in citizen developer territory here. We're yeah. really we're really far removed from as much like technicality as we possibly can. The idea is that um like we'll call them normal people, not technical people, inside of uh, like a, a a just a normal user inside of an organization, um that has some level of training with, you know, um, office 365 and, and the different services that, 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 that sit inside of there. Um, it, it is not out of the bounds of reality that they could learn how to use these systems and start to build, you know, effective and meaningful applications inside of them. Right. Like that's the whole, that's the whole point of it. It's not really for, for people like, um, well, well, you and I do use these technologies still, obviously, um, but th- there is a real big push to get others, you know, using these technologies um, and, and and building on top of them um, in their inside the varying teams. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay, so the next next section then is function apps. Sam, so can you give us an overview of of function apps and the uh, the benefits and stuff? Oh no! Sorry, I'm just going to go for logic apps first, yes. only because they're really close. They're kind of siblings of uh, a sibling of um, Power Automate, aren't they? Um, okay, so logic apps are what's the best way of explaining it? It's it's like Power Automate on steroids a little bit. I think <laughs> is is probably the be- the best way to do it. Um, you're still not into like full developer territory, uh, but you definitely get more. Uh, control and flexibility um, in terms of, and I, I think the intended use for them is is definitely focused in a different place, if that makes sense. So, um, so that they sit in Azure, so they're not they're not like highly integrated with Office three six five from that perspective and, and Power Platform. They they sit inside of uh, resource groups um, inside of um, Azure. They're definitely on on that side of the fence. But effectively, we get a very similar experience to what Alan described for Power Automate. We start with a trigger of some sort, which is, say, maybe a timer trigger once a day or a trigger on some sort of event, like a new blob being put into a storage account or a new incident being fired in Sentinel. Whatever, there's there's lots of first-party connectors, third-party connector triggers. I won't go into all of them. There's a reference list of all of them. There's hundreds of the things, right? Um, but effectively, we start from a trigger, and then they work through a um, a work a workflow. We have things like control conditions, so we can say like if this, then that. Um, we can move into different parallel branches, and we can do loops and different like data manipulations, things like that. 
As we step through that workflow, we have different actions that we can call. An action might be something like, um, what's a good example of an application? Uh, uh, an action. Uh, a good a action might be something like um, insert a row into an Azure um, table storage um, system, or it could be um, look up an incident in uh, Microsoft Defender for endpoints. There's many different actions that you can run. Lots of built-in actions, third-party actions as well that you've got to um, that you've got to choose from. Yeah, post post into an into a uh, API endpoint. Yeah, right? so that's a that's obviously a, a, a massive one. Uh, you know, read and read well, uh, post to and read from APIs as a full API connector. I think this is the first level where you're you're dealing with like you know direct HTTP connections really um, and and things like that. So you, you can get you can start to get really fancy with different connections and things like that in, in Logic Apps. It does give you a lot more flexibility. Um, and I think the way that I see it is they're more geared towards like um, like a daemon driven um, automation. So things that run by themselves without the context of a specific user. We're not in Office three six five here. We're in like we're in an automation inside of Azure. So usually we would use like um, managed uh, managed identities, um, you know, service principles, things like that for authentication. Instead of auth authenticating, like trying to um, uh, impersonate a user, you know, a user's context, if 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 that makes sense. So um, so yeah. So uh, what's what's really interesting is is like lots of different types of applications can can spawn from this. So things like I, I've have mentioned integra good integration with Sentinel, um, like timer jobs that then go and talk to many different types of systems. We'll talk about licensing, and this is why this is quite important, I think, uh, a little bit later on. But you can talk to many different systems in a very reasonably priced way um, and, um, and, and get good um, automations and, and flows working. Um, and I, I would, I would say, and correct me if I'm wrong, Alan, but the connectors are more skewed, skewed towards a lower level type of integration with another system. Like we're not necessarily talking about SaaS applications that are sort of a higher level connector, if that makes sense. We're really talking mainly well, the big focus and the big benefit. I think we do have a loads of those connectors anyway, to talk to different SaaS systems. But it's really to talk to those underlying systems, like inserting a row in a SQL Server and and doing these, you know, these these more lower level technical tasks, if 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 that makes sense. Um, so I think just to go positives and and negatives to just talk about them, them with balance, um, they are they're not as easy as Power Automate, but they are still relatively easy. I wouldn't say you need to be a developer at this point. You're not you're not really writing any code. There are a few areas where you do need to get I think you need to understand what a JSON document is. I think you need to understand like object structures and control statements. So you you do need to have but it's all visually shown for you in a workflow diagram, right? So even though you are sort of programming these really basic programming concepts like control statements, if loops and, and things like that, the way it's presented to you is in such a, a designed and easy to use manner. 
you're effectively you are writing you know code you're not writing code but you're you're writing a representation of what you would write in code in this designer um collaboration i think is is relatively relatively easy because it's it's inside of um it's inside of Azure. Um, multiple people can easily get access to it. I know there is good collaboration tools in in Power Apps and, and things like that, um, but I, I think for uh, easy control of people people that work inside of Azure, because not everybody works inside of Azure, right? You know, um, you know, you might have very few people in your organization that does. Um, the licensing, which we'll talk about, thing I think is is fair and and. There's many different ways to host logic apps, but the consumption-based model is by far a really reasonable way to to to, to get started with it. And um, there's just there's absolutely tons of connectors, just, just like there is in Power Apps. There's loads and loads of connectors, more being built all the time, which is really um, positive. Um, the negatives are even though you are getting more control down at this 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 lower level. You still do have restrictions. Some very simple things. When we'll talk about function apps that you can do, if you're a developer, um, you may uh, pull your hair out a little bit in terms of the things you can and can't do. Because I think logic apps are almost too powerful for their own good in some respects, because they lure you into a sense of false false sense of security sometimes. But um, I think, on the whole, a lot. A lot of what you can, you know, a lot of what you need to do can be done, and we will talk about collaboration and why maybe sometimes you should, you know, switch out to a function app, and that's not the wrong thing to do in in certain scenarios. So we'll talk about that um, shortly. Um, and you can get into a scenario with logic apps where compute costs can become high if you have compute intensive applications. Not a lot of line of business applications have compute intensive applications, right? But if you are doing things, you know, millions of times over and over and over again, you know, you're you are, you know, in the consumption model, you're charged per, you know, control action, or action step that you do. So you can build up a lot of actions very quickly. And relatively, you're paying a lot of money per per execution, if if that makes sense, versus over bare metal. But once you get to that, once you get to that stage, you're probably not using logic apps anyway, right? You can probably take the investment of using something different. So licensing, there's a few ways to to, to license it, but um, they're all consumption based or like fixed cost um, like base um, sort of approach. So consumption base is you essentially pay a micro 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 fraction of a whatever unit of currency you you deal in um per um action step that you go through so let's say you've got a a logic app that has got 10 steps in it or 10 actions in it and then you run that 10 times you'll be charged for a hundred um, of them but i believe the first million i think it's million um action steps are free every month i think it is something like that is that is that right? I, I think Alan's just about to to tell me. Is yeah. something or is it ten million? I can't remember. It's something ridiculous. So a lot of apps, if you're just running consumption based, they don't even hit that level uh, a lot of the time. So they're effectively free, which is very confusing when you've got to explain it to a customer because they're like, "What? We're not even going to hit our free tier." So it's it's kind of hard to to convince them that. 
it's not going to be down all the time, <laughs> to be honest. So, so the numbers, unfortunately, not that high. It's only first 4,000 are free. Oh, is it 4,000? Okay, what, why am I thinking? Is that... Or maybe I'm thinking of function apps. Yeah, I think you might be. Yeah, there's function apps. I think it's like um, the time or something. I can't remember. Okay, right. Completely ignore what I said there. For first four thousand, but four thousand is still a lot. And then the fraction that you pay is absolutely nothing for 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 a line of business app usually, right? So um, yeah, so it's a really fair it's a really fair billing model. And there is also ways to host um, uh, if you want a little bit more control in terms of hosting the um, the logic app. You can um, opt for, um, I think it's called standard hosting, I think, um, where you effectively run on top of an app service um, instance. And then you can do things like having multiple instances running for failover and high availability and and redundancy and and things like that. And also in that mode, you can also build your own like connectors and you can do programming and things like that because you've actually got an instance that you you can deploy to and things like that. So, um, so there is also ways to take logic apps to a kind of a, a next level. If you can't deal with the 99.5 or 99.9, whatever the SLA is on the consumption-based logic apps, there's also some things you can't do with consumption-based logic apps, like connecting to private, uh, connect, peering them to VNets and things like that. So you have to think about access control and, and stuff like that in front of it. Um, anything else that I've missed, Alan? Uh, the only thing I would say is that you can. What what I like about Logic Apps is that you can almost have like a master uh, Logic App that then um, can call other Logic Apps to do small tasks. So that when you're you know when you are um, collaborating as well, you can have teams own a certain part of a process. So you don't have to worry about having a big logic app that's doing everything you can bring it out so that you can just modulate it in effect and i i quite like that yeah exactly yeah yeah the composition of logic apps is yeah and um breaking apart that logic is is really powerful yeah for sure yep okay so now let's go on to function apps and uh, okay, give so, us a view of that okay so function apps um so this is probably the lowest level of serverless apps that you can effectively get to gives you the most flexibility um, as long as you have the skill in order to to wield it. Um, So a function app is effectively a platform as a service tool where you will write, if you're a developer, you will write code in a a different manner, but a similar manner to uh, how you've done before. So you'll use things like um, C-sharp.net. You might write them in Python. You might write them in Node.js. Depends what um, your your flavor of um, programming is, and what you effectively do is make small. I say small. You make functions that are then um, executable. So they have the same things like um, triggers that you can set. So on certain actions, they can be fired. Um, so you can take that lifecycle management away from yourselves. So you could say, you know, every twenty four hours, you know, run this function. Um, let's say you want to do something that's a little bit more complicated that you can't use a logic app, but you you want to just run like a a C-sharp script to do some processing. Maybe you've got some custom business logic that you want to run every 24 hours. Instead of having to bring up, say, like an ASP.NET full application, you can effectively just like build 
you know, one quotes function, which is your entry point, and then write your code to do that business logic. You then package it, you deploy it, DevOps, you, you push it however, however you do, however you, you know, do your deployments. You then you send it up to, for Microsoft to host it on your behalf. You can do things like um, HTTP endpoints and HTTPS, obviously. So you can have web endpoints. So you can effectively build, you know, um, APIs, um, APIs with it. You can secure those APIs um, with OAuth, uh, like based authentication schemes, like um, Azure AD, things like that. You can put API management in front of it as well to make it a little bit more grown up. Uh, you can do things like uh, uh, front doors to, to to protect those API endpoints as well. So there, there is there is a lot of technology around there for for securing and and building on top of that. And Microsoft themselves have their own like function service that you uh that you wrap around um so it is definitely different if you're say an asp.net developer or you're a um like a you know any sort of big framework node um or python developer um it is definitely a different way of thinking it's more sort of a microservices like architecture that you've got to think with um but you're you're probably not gonna you know refactor your monolithic apps into this 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 is this is more really geared towards I, I mean i you know lots of there are some big apps that have been built in 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 function apps before i'm not saying that they can't be used for for bigger applications but you know from our experience we're building you know more complex business logic for our line of business and sort of internal apps for our customers um so what why is it, how is it different well you're you're going to need to be a developer to to, to run these systems right there's no there's no you know uh are dancing around that you you have to you have to understand the technologies that you're using and you have to learn how you then you know uh rebuild your solutions or build your solutions in the correct way for them to be architected for functions um if you are a uh, so that's so what sort of logic can be built and why would you use this over the others let's say you've got um Let's say you've got some data processing to do that's too complex for logic apps, because logic apps have to have a, a limit somewhere, right? It's a bit unrealistic to think that it's going to be able to do everything. Um, but if you if you've got to the bounds of that, maybe you need to do some complex, you know, data manipulation um, that that you just it's just too much for logic apps. You would you you can call directly from logic apps a function app, so there's like a first party connection there, which is which is really good. Um, and you can effectively jump out to a function app, do that processing, and return it back to another like logic app um, in one in one step. Now, um, and that's the same for any other system. Like if you, you know you can expose an HTTP endpoint, which somebody can call to get a result from you. So 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 what? So here you're just really building anything you can think of. Really, I, I don't really have any specific concrete examples because. Because really, anything that you can write in those languages, you can you can do here. There are some limitations in terms of maybe you know the environment that you're running in and what you can and can't execute. But on the whole, you know it's it's a, it's a great place to be. Um, how do you do connections to other services? Just like you would with any other programming language, you would use you would bring in you know um, your maybe your NuGet packages if you're a .NET developer, or you'd bring in your npm packages or yarn packages, you know, for for Node.js. 
you would bring in your pip packages or whatever package management system you use for for python and you would just um use them in in, in that scenario you know let's say you're some sort of um you're in finance and you use uh, pandas numpties and maybe use some te- technical analysis libraries and things like that they can all be brought in um none of that sort of um specific you know financial services you know niche like sdks and and packages um are available anywhere else but you can still build them into a a, a function so so if you did want to do some like data manipulation with pandas for instance you could pass the data to the function do your manipulation and then pass it back to a you know a less complex system you know for maybe displaying it back to a user inside of um teams or Office 365 or something like that. Um, so what are the main benefits? You've got lots of flexibility in terms of the languages that can be used. Um, Azure supports many different languages. Um, so go and check there for, for what is available in Azure Functions for you. Um, you get ultimate flexibility, the best flexibility in terms of you know serverless applications for sure. And it's going to be a familiar experience if you're a developer. Um, and you can use third-party libraries and other open source technologies that may be Microsoft and other vendors aren't specifically f- focused in on providing at the moment. No criticism to them. There's so much out there that they couldn't possibly create connectors for, for everything. Main sort of negatives and drawbacks that requires developers. You need development technology in-house um, or you're going to look externally for development you know, um, expertise, which can become very expensive. So that's something to think about and why organizations might not rush to function apps to build their line of business applications. You know, like let's say you've got a development team that works on your product. Let's say you're a SaaS business, then you might not want to use your development resource to build your line of business, you know, internal line of business applications. It's probably not worth their time. They might be wanting to work on the product that they're they're hired to work on. Uh, There is a sort of a less of a scenario, but there is an element of vendor lock-in as well. You will have to architect your solutions around this, uh, you know, Azure functions. So there is a little bit of, you know, vendor vendor lock in there, um, and you have to think about the new packaging and what, packaging of these apps and the ways to architect them. And also, if you come from something like ASP.NET, um, it's not as feature rich um, as if 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 you if you're if you were a .NET framework developer, then you went to .NET Core, and you know, what you lost between those transitions, not being critical, but then, you know, uh, Azure Functions is another level uh, further than that because effectively you don't have ASP.NET um, to build these these APIs. Um, it, it still is really powerful, but you, you, you sometimes have to program in a different way. Um, licensing is... Well, yeah, it's it's even it's very similar to Logic Apps in some degree, but you don't pay per like line of code that's that's, that's executed. You pay by um, the the amount of times, well, the amount of times your program executes, and the amount of time that they execute for, and effectively how much memory you use when they execute. And this is where I was kind of right, and this is where I got Logic Apps and Function Apps <laughs> mixed up because. The first a million million executions on function apps on consumption are free every month, and you get four hundred thousand gigabytes per second, uh, gigabyte seconds, sorry, per month. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, of free grants of um, you know execution time. So so effectively, you're only being charged for when you're 
your your um, your app is active. Again, like Logic Apps, these these numbers sound impressive, but when you've got like a if you've just fired up a ten dollar a month, you know, a virtual machine, you could get you could get you know billions or you know billions of executions per month for very little money. So they are they are expensive per execution. But if you've got applications and things that aren't consumed that often, let's maybe you do have a batch job that once runs once per day, and maybe it runs for, you know, 20 seconds or however long you need, you can effectively pay no money if you want to. There are other um, hosting options. So you can host on a vCore model um, as well in an app service model where you effectively, you know, buy compute um, units. Um, if you do that, you can then peer to say VNets and do more advanced networking, things like that. You can't peer directly to VNets in consumption mode because effectively your app isn't running all the time. It's only it's only running when you know a request comes in. It goes into you know it goes into sort of cold. It's it's running hot at that point. Then it goes to cold and it can move around and things like that. So you you have to have like a a proper hosted version, a premium function app, um, um, to, to, in order to do that. I've flown through that. That's a whole episode in it. That's <laughs> ten episodes in itself. But yeah, there's the the key highlights. Anything you think I've missed from function apps, Alan? Uh, I you know you can. I guess the only thing is around the triggering in that you know you can like you said you can post data to it to get a result back. Um, but also potentially you could just post you know do a get or something to basically enable you know tell it to run that task. You know, it may not be scheduled. It may be triggered. So there may yeah. be that, that process that goes off and gets the data itself. It doesn't receive it kind of thing. So exactly. Yeah, you've got that. And also, you know, kind of the things you were saying about, you know, it may seem expensive. You're doing a lot, but you've got to remember, we're not looking after it. You'd have to worry about patching it or anything like that. You know, no, just, exactly. it's literally yeah. just your code and your, you know, obviously your your yeah. bundles of packages and things and like that's, that. And, and, and yeah. And that's why I said originally, you know, when I first talked about serverless, where I sort of said, you know, your operation expenses, you know, your compute cost is is high, but if you but that's only if you're in a scenario where you're doing a lot of heavy compute. If you're not doing that, which a lot of apps aren't, they're sitting there idle most of the time, right? You can save yourself a huge amount of money re-architecting your solutions in this way because you're not effectively sitting there sipping virtual cores that you're not even utilizing most of the time, right? Which is why we love to to, to build in these ways yeah okay so now we we've whistle stopped through <laughs> those technologies and i apologize if we've gone a bit quick um over those but can can you talk alan well let's both talk about this but can you sort of give us a primer on how these technologies can work together and how they're not sort of always used in in isolation yeah, so we've kind of done this ourselves, haven't we, recently, or at least in the last six, 12 months that, you know, some of us are, you know, you're, you know, you're able to build function apps, you know, our colleague, Chris can do some function app stuff. I definitely can't. So <laughs> anything, you know, anything like that, I can't do. So being able to, you know, bring these technologies together, all, you know, all three or four of them um, allows the different sort of skilled skills skill types to be able to you know build that funk that app across you know those different platforms and i think something you said to me before it doesn't necessarily matter what 
technology you use or code you use it's whoever's going to be looking after it kind of thing so that kind of makes sense that you know if there's certain bits you know trying to get you know a, a full-fledged developer to start using power you know power platform is going to be a nightmare for them because it's so basic you know they want to be able to do everything sort of thing so but they kind of work together because like you said sam that some of the the limitations on some of the areas can be you know overcome by jumping out to the other bit so we've done we've done things like um being able to um create a queue within you know dataverse you know being able to, for someone to put a request in for something you know go through that approval process um because it's all you know it's all built in you know it's all really nice you haven't got to build you know you've got to build code for it so it's, it's, it's literally just there waiting to be used um, and then the outcome comes out into a, you know into a table in Dataverse, and then you can have something like you know logic apps, and then go and pull that table and say, is there a new request? And then go and do that that more advanced stuff. You know, go and add users to. Uh, you can do this in in Power Automate, but you know, add users to AD, do some other stuff. You know, call an API, add a user to another app. You know, I mean, we're talking about GML kind of stuff here, but in effect, you know, being able to do that, and then. You know, if you need to do some manipulation of data, as we said, you know, pull out into a function app, or you need to you need to do that manipulation of code, but then need need to go out to other connectors that is easier to do. You know, it's better to do you know, use the technologies for their for their you know for their their you know. Um, I can't think of the word now, but um, yeah, the, well, their their strongest yes, like the, their strongest attributes, right? You know, because because um like i've 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 mentioned to you a lot is is you know building a workflow like you know like a state like almost like a state machine like a you know do this then that if this isn't you know like that can be hard to program right and it can be hard to keep management of that especially when you're talking about you know triggers that are firing and and things like that you know like being able to set up a trigger that runs every 24 hours in logic apps and things like that is trivial you just literally say i want it to run once a day but if you're going to build that as a developer you're either going to have to build that into your application stack to have some sort of like job and cute like job and timer system in it which your your framework might already have by the way so you might already have these things or you might need to do it at the operating system level like create a cron job that runs and calls your script every you know 24 hours but there's like there's there's things that you have to manage there so, but you might have, you might want to lean on like a programming language because of one part of your application. You know, like I said, like you might have this one niche use case where you have to process this data in a certain way. You have to use this certain SDK or, or whatever it is. But the, the way that we start to think about this is, is well, why build the whole, just because of that reason, why build the whole application in say a function app instead of, doing that in function apps or building a proper, you know, like um, app service application, why don't we build all of the, like the logic and control in say logic apps as our, you know, control plane, if you want to our control mechanism, because we get the things like, you know, um, being able to call other logic apps and splitting up, you know, um, logic and things like that, which is, which is great. But then when we need to do that complex logic, we, 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 we turn to our, you know, most favorite developer colleagues and say, hey, can you build this one area for us? You know, expose it as an API like you, you normally would, 
but could you throw it into a function app for me so that I can access it and call it when I want to? Um, and then they don't have to build and maintain the whole thing. They just have to build and maintain that one small, relatively small part for, for you. So, so the benefit to that is, is that you don't use up a lot of their time and also you don't use up a lot of their ongoing time to maintain the thing. They don't have to maintain the hosting of it. Hopefully their area is smaller or, you know, more, you know, there's reduced complexity there because all they really care about is that what those one or two things that they're actually having to manage. So, so having that collaboration and this didn't, this didn't really become a thing until we had a, a conversation with one of our customers where they were like, well, we have developers and we have, you know, um, citizen developers and we have people in our, you know, Azure team that can do logic apps and things like that. You know, instead of building like um, their business catalog in, say, .NET, you know, and building like a monolithic ASP.NET application for their internal business processes, started to sort of think about, okay, well, can the user interface and the outputs be in Power Apps? Then could we use Logic Apps to control, maybe have a deeper level of control, especially when we want to do, you know, um, actions that don't, we don't want specific users to be in context of. You like manipulating Azure AD and things like that. You might not want to base that off of a user's context, would you? And give people like, you know, give a user God permission, (laughs) you know, to to, to that sort of thing. Um, And I know you can do that in different ways, but but whatever, right? But it's not designed to do that. Um, And then you can branch out to function apps. That'll keep, hopefully that'll kind of keep, if we can collaborate, which is another problem in itself, which is another episode. If we can collaborate like that as a technical team, then we could build with with more efficiency and we could we could have an efficient like uh, operational expense going forward because we're not having to manage all of this these extra things we're already we're already like we've already bought into cloud we've already uh, bought into microsoft you know uh, co-managing things for us let's lean into that even more especially if we're already licensed in some respects um to do that you know so those, that, that collaboration can be very, very, very powerful um, when it's done when it's done right. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and yeah, we've. I mean, we're doing it more and more now, aren't we? So, yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. yeah, you know, we kind of touched on a little bit, but you know, do we really need to be a developer for for all of it? I mean, you, you you've you've highlighted that you know, function apps you do, um, but yeah, yeah, but in, in a lot of things, we never have to punch out to a function app right you know we we we, we really do there's there's a lot that you can you can do inside of logic apps i would argue that some of the stuff we end up doing in logic apps you basically need to be a developer for but you know (laughs) it's it's but it is it is possible to it is possible to do that so yeah you, you don't need to have to have you know good valuable applications inside of your business you can just be at the power apps level you don't even need to potentially like descend down into logic apps because what we think of as technical people as value is very different sometimes. You know, we're there for the shiny technologies. How can we make it more efficient, faster, you know, more more secure or, you know, uh, and things like that. When a lot of people are like, I just want my Excel to be, this Excel workbook to be dumped out once a month from Dynamics, you know, and that can add a huge amount of value to, you know, to, to a bit, you know, like I know that's a really simple business process, mm-hmm. you know, and I haven't given any specific information, but sometimes it's the most simplest you know um simplest solutions that 
you know, that, that went out and, and things like Power Apps gives you the ability um, to, to do that. Well, Power Platform, I should say, gives you the ability to to do that. Um, so, so Alan, what if if I if I'm an organization that isn't really doing anything in Power Apps, Power Automate, it just you know, Logic Apps or Function Apps in the serverless space? Am I going to need to learn a lot of like you know new technologies? Like, what's where's my pain point of adoption here? Who you know, am I going to have problems convincing you know my my technical people to to even look at this? So yeah, if you're not if you're not using it today um, in any format, then you know, you are going to need to sort of you know learn up on some of the technologies. But Microsoft has a very you know their Microsoft Learn stuff is all really good and. It's you know, definitely around the power platform bits. There is tons of modules out there that they you know they provide on their their Microsoft Learn um, to go through. You know, it goes through you know building your first app that sort of stuff. And they there is tons of templates as well um, for the power platform. You know, if this happens, then you know, in effect, if this and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, there's loads in there for starting off in Power Platform and and Power Automate. Um, Moving into kind of logic app stuff like that, like we said, it's a bit more complex. But again, there is documentation about how they work and things like that. I, I don't think it's as uh, I've not looked at it, but I don't think it's as um, in depth as you know Power Platform. But if you did do the Power Automate, you know, modules, you know, in effect, it's, it's transferable at that point um, over. Um, but yeah, there are modules on logic apps, um, around how to secure them and things like that. Um, and then with function apps, as, as you sort of said, Sam, you do kind of need to be a developer to be able to, to do those areas. Um, there are, you know, there is, if you want to learn the actual, you know, service itself, again, there is, um, what you call it modules and things like that to go through. Um, and you know, within Power Platform, at least, um, there is, you know, uh, I think there's a fundamentals like exam you can take and things like that. So you can actually get like qualified, Microsoft qualified in effect in that area. I mean, it goes up to, you know, expert in in Power Platform kind of thing because it is so big. There's like four or five exams, I think now. Um, there is, you know, exams for the other side for app development and for logic apps, things like that. But um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And I think like, like any, any technology, there is going to have to be an element of en uh, investment there. Right. You know, in terms of skilling people up and I think an aligned viewpoint as well, because a lot of times in organizations trying to pick like one area to focus on can be a big challenge, especially with, you know, people in your team, which I think is why the sort of what we've talked about in terms of collaboration and, and, um, you know, using different types of technology, you know, if you do have different team members that have different opinions in terms of what technologies um, to use, that can that sometimes can't always be the best thing. But you know, if not everybody is perfectly aligned, then at least you have some options in terms of what you can you can talk about. Because it isn't just power platform, it isn't just logic apps, and it isn't just function apps. Sometimes it's a combination of all of those different things. Yeah, so that kind of ties into our sort of last last question about you know do i pick a single technology is that the best thing to do I, again you know it is going to be highly dependent on your specific application that you're trying to build you know because you know sometimes we can just build you know um for building a 
an automation rule with a playbook, which is just a logic app, but with a playbook, you know, in Sentinel, we can sometimes just, you know, um, get away with just a logic app. No other connections to anything else. It depends what the requirements are. Um, but sometimes we have to, we have to, we have to punch out from there. I think if I was going to pick a single technology, I, it depends what you're trying to do. Cause if you build, if you want to build something with a user interface, the only way to do it in a serverless perspective is power apps. You know, you, 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 you can't really build, you know, anything with a customized UI, especially that goes on mobile and things like that. It's, there's loads of really powerful things that are in, in power apps. Uh, but then logic apps is, I think is a really good halfway sort of house between power platform and function apps. You get a lot of, you get lots of flexibility and lots of control without the overhead of building function apps, you know? So I don't know, Alan, is there anything you think, you know, from, from your experience? from that perspective i mean you know my go-to is is a logic app you know because it doesn't you know if it's sat there doing nothing you know even for like developing some of the things that we do you know it just sits there it doesn't cost you anything unless it's running and yeah. you know if it's if it's small when you're testing you know it's you don't pay for it anyway like you said no. so yeah. it's um yeah and and i think the licensing as well just to you know circle back to that sometimes with a with a especially with customers, you know, they may ask you a, for a solution to a problem that requires some level of automation. And then when you start to get into the weeds of, oh, well, they're not actually power apps licensed. And, you know, mm. let's say this is an app that needs to be, let's say they're a 10,000 person org, and this app needs to potentially be used by everybody, which it, most of the time it does, because it's not, you know, um, you know, department specific, sometimes it is, but sometimes, you know, sometimes it's not, then you can have a second battle of not just selling your solution and, and building it. It's also to actually do the licensing as well, especially when you're the first mover in that space. So where things like logic apps and function apps work really well is they may take longer to build. Well, not logic apps, but, you know, function apps especially. But then you've got like your million three executions on function apps and you've got you know effectively you know low cost of logic apps you know especially things that aren't consumed that often so sometimes it's a no-brainer just to go down to the, the logic app level so yeah so i think if i was starting to pick one i would i would invest a lot of time in logic apps i think to be totally honest with you um even if you are a developer because i think even from my development background, you're very surprised about what you can actually achieve, you know, in, in logic apps. And I can't believe I'm particularly saying that because of <laughs> like an kind of an ex developer, but it is true. And, I, but, but I think now, you know, you know, but it's, it's kind of always been the case, but the realization for us is around that, you know, having multiple technologies, I think is the most powerful combination, you know, to, to solution to the problem. If, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah. I think it's just learning when to, stop trying to do something in one of them because it's becoming too complex exactly, and move to yeah. the to the next tier yeah. um Unders understanding well. yeah understanding where the bounds are to what you're <laughs> using yeah is is really important yeah yeah without a doubt and i don't think that's a science i think that's an art to be totally honest with you you know to try and do it so okay well hopefully um i'm gonna uh, let's let's wrap this up because we've been on for an hour so um but you know um i think that should give you a good sort of overview um of them 
I think what we'll end up doing is we're doing some episodes around these different serverless um, products. Um, so maybe we'll do like a combo logic apps with function apps or, or something like, you know, some, some combo ones, you know, um, to make sense, you know, uh, specific scenarios. But yeah, um, if you've got any other questions or anything, just let us know um, because it's been a big old topic this week um, and hopefully you've, you've got some valuable insight. Um, into these technologies um alan uh next episode um i think this is this is this is one of your your babies um what what, what are we going to be talking about yep so we're going to be looking into threat vulnerability management with microsoft defender for endpoint mde so it's been growing slowly and there's been some new you know some new license queue stuff like that but we're going to talk about how you know how it works and you know why why you need it kind of thing so okay Cool. That'd be great. Um, so yeah, if you've enjoyed this episode, please do consider subscribing if you'd like to listen to more of this sort of content in the future. Um, we have many different topics that we'd like to cover and your listens and support is what will continue to fuel the podcast going forward. And as Sam said, you know, if you have any feedback about this episode or the podcast in general, you know, that we're doing well and things like that, you know, the numbers say we're doing well, but you know, without actually hearing from you, we don't know. Um, there's a link in the um, show notes. Um, if you click on that, then you can leave us some feedback for us, and we can you know, consume that and change how we how we do our podcast. Cool. Thanks very much, Alan, and thanks to everybody that's made it to the end of this episode. <laughs> it's been a bit of a beast, so thanks for bearing with us. Cheers, everyone. Thank you. Yep. Speak to you soon. Bye.